This episode of Tour Denver is brought to you in collaboration with Sunrise Robot. Be sure to visit sunriserobot.net and discover other great podcasts about the arts, technology, and culture. Tour Denver is a storytelling event created by Amber Blaze, Derek Mund, and me, Michael Edwards. Hi, I'm Amber Blaze. Tour events take place live at venues around Denver, Colorado. Each night, a theme is chosen and three curated storytellers share their tales. All of these stories are told without any written notes, with each storyteller living in the moment with the audience. See the full schedule of upcoming Tour events and listen to other episodes at RackandTourDenver.com. This Tour event took place at Fort Greene on March 8th. The topic of the event was First Muse. Our Tour this episode is Joe Lennon. Joe has lived in Georgia, Texas, Missouri, the Czech Republic, China, and Colorado. He teaches writing to teenagers and small children, and he has a 1997 tour to Camry named Eleanor. Let's hear Joe discuss his first muse. This makes me uh, slightly anxious because um, I'm not used to telling stories. I think of myself more as a poet. Um, that's the kind of work that I do usually. Um, it's not that I uh, don't like telling stories, but I think it's, it's kind of hard for me uh, because I, I think it has something to do with the way I um, tend to organize my experience, uh, which isn't usually in a narrative, I don't think, but something uh, closer to um, images, um, moments, memories, impressions, maybe, that sort of gather around those uh, moments and those memories. Um, And uh, I want to tell you, uh, I'm going to start with one of those uh, moments that is literally an impression. Um, When I was around six or seven, my family lived in uh, Catawba County, North Carolina. Anybody from Catawba County? No? Anybody from North Carolina in the crowd? No? This is Denver. You're supposed to be from everywhere. Okay. Um, uh, Catawba County is uh, sort of semi-rural North Carolina, um, sort of a mix of uh, suburban homes and dairy farms and woods and horse farms. And uh, my family lived on about five acres of of land um, in this town called Maiden, North Carolina, or near this town, rather. And um, we had a big yard, and at the back of the yard was uh, pretty deep woods. And there were always lightning bugs in summer uh, in the woods. And at the back of the property, there was this uh, trickling little flashing creek that I used to play in. And it was a really magical time uh, of, of my life and full of um, uh, solitude and, and sensual, um, I don't know, memories and, and moments. Uh, and at the side of the, of the yard, there was a kind of wide trail, kind of a little bit in, in the trees, um, but you could see it from our yard. And on this trail, people used to ride their horses back and forth. Um, and so it was kind of one of the exotic pleasures of my life back then was I sat on the back porch and I could see sometimes these horses kind of flickering um, back in the trees. 
Um, and okay, so one one day it was pr probably spring or summer, um, sort of late afternoon. I was walking with my dad uh, on that trail, and it was that moment right before a thunderstorm, um, when uh, the, there's little thunder rumbling and the wind is picking up in little gusts and. Um, the leaves on the trees are kind of turning up and you can see their little white underbellies. And uh, this moment before a storm is very different in North Carolina than uh, it is in Colorado because th these kind of moments happen all the time in Colorado in the summer. It starts to, looks like it's gonna rain and then it, it doesn't. Uh, but in North Carolina, in the Southeast, if it looks like it's gonna rain, it's gonna rain and it's gonna rain hard. And so we were heading back from uh, a walk and we probably weren't hurrying all that much, but maybe we were picking up the pace because the storm was coming. But we could see, I remember I could see the house um, still. Uh, we, were, we were getting close to the house. And I remember um, I, was, I was lagging a, a few steps behind, a few paces behind my dad. And I remember looking down and seeing in the sort of leafy mud at my feet a hoof print. And um, there wasn't anything necessarily odd about it, uh, except that I just remember it very succinctly. It was a very distinct shape of a horseshoe. And um, it wasn't that deep, but it was deep enough that it um, sort of uh, struck me with its kind of clear and, and distinct shape. And I remember this too, when I looked down at it, and I don't know if this really happened or not, but I remember looking down and right as I looked down, there was a flash of lightning. And it was still uh, light outside. Um, as I said, it was late afternoon or so. So I could already see everything very clearly all around me and, and I've always had really good eyesight. Um, and, and everything was sharp and clear already. So the lightning, it wasn't an illuminating flash as it would be at night where it lights things up. It was maybe more just like an enhancing flash and a connecting flash. And in that moment, it, it seemed that everything in the world had that light in common as I looked down at that hoof print. And then there's another part to what happens when I think of this uh, moment. And this, I know, I, I know it didn't actually happen. Um, and that is when I look down at the hoof print and that lightning flashes, the hoof print fills up with rain. And I know that didn't actually happen because there's no way that my dad and I didn't um, make it to the house before the rain started. Uh, we were right there. There's no way, we were, we were hurrying, as I said, a little bit. Um, and I kept walking, I know I did, to catch up with my dad. There's no way that I stayed there long enough to see that um, hoof print fill with rain. But still, that's what happens to the memory in my mind. Okay. Um, I, so like I said, I don't, uh, maybe I don't know much about telling a story, but I know one thing, and that is that um, if you tell a story, uh, it shouldn't have holes in it. Um, if somebody says your story is full of holes, that's a criticism, usually. Um, but uh, I'm telling a story about, I'm supposed to tell a story about my muse, and um, of course the traditional way to begin um, uh, invoking the muse, because it's, it's gonna be hard to tell a story about my muse if I don't actually call upon my muse to help me tell it. The traditional way to um, invoke the muse is to start with a hole. 
make your mouth into a perfect round hole and say, oh, muse. Right? Traditional, uh, traditional invocation of, of the muse. Okay? Um, and uh, so I, I'm, one of my obsessions is this letter O um, because it must be the only letter in the Latin alphabet that I can think of that um, actually shows you how to say it, how to make the sound of it. Um, and it seems uh, obvious to me that that must be how the letter uh, originated. Somebody uh, was, you know, enjoying making sounds, oh, oh, and then they decided to, to uh, draw their mouth, actually making the sound. Um, but in fact, that's not a, uh, apparently how the O originated, because um, it was originally a letter in the Phoenician alphabet. And in the Phoenician alphabet, it um, uh, represented not the mouth, but the eye. And the name for the letter was the word for eye. Um, and it was a consonant sound. It wasn't a vowel sound, so it didn't make the O sound. It was the Greeks, who was the Greeks who actually took this Phoenician letter and assigned to it the O sound that we have uh, to it now. I was reading a, uh, a book of poems by my friend Jennifer Forster the other day, and in that book, uh, she has this line that says, um, what is your homeland? a framing of absence. And I love that line, and I think it um, sort of describes my muse maybe better than um, I've ever been able to describe my muse. When I was younger, of course, I told you about one place I lived in North Carolina, but my family didn't live there for long. We moved around a lot when I was a kid, and I traveled a lot uh, in my 20s and early 30s, as uh, Derek mentioned in, in, in the introduction. And... Um, you know, I, I used to think that uh, there was a lot of romance, I think, in um, always looking for a home, always searching for a home, but never finding it, right? And maybe that is romantic. There's some romance to that. But uh, now, in my mid-30s, uh, I sometimes look back and I wonder how many potential homes, potential muses did I scorn or leave behind uh, because I didn't think that they were as beautiful as the longing for uh, the place and um, the searching. And um, um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I, I think that I might have um, been looking too long and too lovingly at uh, that O shape that we, uh, the framed absence that we use to call out to the muse, right? And I think sometimes I haven't uh, allowed myself to kind of really fall into that hole and um, experience the absence at the heart of it um, and that sort of real voice and real muse that I may be able to access in that way, um, if I uh, listen to that absence. Um, so, um, as I said, uh, a story shouldn't have holes in it. 
Um, this one has a few, however, as you may have noticed. Uh, a whole, though, in a story, I think it's um, important to uh, think about what that really is, because a whole um, in a story is when uh, two lies, maybe, in the story don't match up with each other, or a lie doesn't match up with a truth, and somebody can see the inconsistency. I think it also could be uh, a, a hole in a story could also be two truths uh, in a story that don't match up together. Because I think that uh, a true story has sometimes a way of collecting uh, or um, uh, incorporating truths from other true stories. But that doesn't mean necessarily that those truths um, match up or that we feel that they match up. Um, and uh, so a, a whole is not a lie, right? It's an inconsistency, and those are two different things. So one way to think about um, uh, holes in stories is uh, what's called a continuity error in film. How many people work in film know what this is? Okay, uh, even though the filmmakers, of course, want to get rid of these um, errors. My theory is that viewers of the films actually are comforted by them, sort of like them. And I think that uh, we, don't, we may not notice that they're there when we watch a film, these kinds of mistakes, but I think we'd notice if, they were, if there was some foolproof way to get rid of them and they never appeared again. And I think this has something to do with our primitive sense of what a story is and our, and our deeper memories maybe of what storytellers did. Because of course, um, every time before the age of mechanical reproduction when um, we uh, had definitive versions of stories, of course, every time a story was told, it was told a little bit differently and there were inconsistencies. And I think we still are comforted by this and we still like this and it speaks to our sense of, of what reality is and what a story is. As I was doing research for this story, for my story, um, I went on to Google Maps and I looked up um, the, uh, the area of Catawba County, North Carolina, where I used to live. Because I wanted to you know, double check and, and see if uh, my memories of that time and that place were accurate, right? Of course, I was looking at, the, at my homeland now from a very different angle, from, from high above, right? And I switched over to the satellite view. Um, and uh, there was something really surprising when I looked at uh, my old stomping grounds. And um, it was, I was surprised because in between the sort of green and beige woods and farms and fields, there was only a, a few miles down the road from where I grew up, there was a huge brown, dark brown clearing in the woods. And there was a little road winding in to this brown scar. And in the center of it was a, a huge, massive, blindingly white rectangle. And I had never seen this before. Obviously, I didn't remember it from my own childhood. Uh, so I did some more Googling and look, looked this up. It turns out that this is the Apple Corporation's de main data center. It's one of the largest data centers in the world. And inside this uh, enormous rectangle that was built several years ago in my hometown um, are 
uh, half a million square feet of computers, servers, um, the computers that hold uh, all our information in iCloud. So all those uh, texts, emails, videos, photographs, all our personal information, credit card information, all these things are sitting there uh, in those computers only about four miles down the road from where I grew up. And um, there, there's a lot of secrecy around this, uh, this center, but um, I, I did some more Googling and I found some rumors uh, about what's going on here. And apparently Apple has built um, a, uh, or has uh, bought uh, a huge amount of land next to, adjacent to the current existing building. And there are plans to build another same, similar sized data center right next to the one that exists. So even though it's not there yet, if you go onto Google now, you won't see it. Um, when I look at my screen, um, at the satellite view of my hometown, I can see uh, another sort of dark brown scar opening up in the earth and another blindingly white rectangular eye taking shape there. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tour Denver. Visit RackandTourDenver.com where you can find upcoming events, speaker bios, and more episodes. This podcast was recorded and edited by Michael Edwards of Sunrise Robot. Visit SunriseRobot.net and discover other great podcasts about the arts, technology, and culture. Thank you.